Welcome back, everyone. I am Cass PNC, and I'm joined as usual by my partner in crime, Mr. Bennett Tomlin. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Cass? I'm doing pretty good. Today, we're here to discuss a lawsuit against Celsius by a former trader who was employed by them. So this is Keyfi Incorporated versus Celsius Network. The plaintiff is Keyfi, and the defendant is Celsius Network. First of all, I want to start this out by saying, even from someone who is not a lawyer, the, the lawsuit is so silly that it's both egregious and crazy and believable, but also insane. So I want to start this out by letting everybody know that this, this lawsuit itself starts out as a handshake deal between two parties. Look, I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about lawsuits. We aren't lawyers. But as much as I don't know about law or business, here's what I'll say. You're doing a billion dollar deal with a company. Don't do a handshake deal. It's pretty much that simple. Get it into a contract. A contract for a $10,000 deal. Why wouldn't you contractualize a billion dollar deal? I don't know. And I'm sure that I couldn't tell you the answer to that in regards to this. But <laughs> this lawsuit is far outside the scope of that. So Bennett, fill us in. Talk to us about like all the ridiculousness of what this lawsuit fully presents. Well, I'm not going to get into all of it just in this initial intro, but you're right. This whole thing is just layers of absurdity piled on top of each other. Like you mentioned, it was a handshake deal where they were managing hundreds of millions of dollars of funds, which is, unfortunately, not unheard of in crypto as we discuss in episodes 1, 2, and 3 with Bitfinex and Tether giving about a little over a billion dollars, actually, to Crypto Capital Corp without ever signing a contract of any sort. So it's certainly not unheard of, but it's also definitely not a best practice. And so Jason Stone, at 0x underscore b1 on Twitter, started a cryptocurrency company called Kefi, which was handling staking a little bit of some other stuff like that, until Mashinsky somehow became aware of them and decided to bring them into the fold to help manage Celsius's DeFi activities for them. There's a lot of different details and allegations in the suit, and we'll get into more of them throughout this episode, but this arrangement was weird from the start. Celsius set up this at 0xB1 address and started transferring hundreds of millions of dollars of customer funds in. Then they would have Jason basically use a VPN to remotely access the computer that the keys were stored on, from which he would then make the transactions. He was supposed to be paid a portion of the profits he earned in doing these activities and was also apparently told by Celsius that he didn't need to worry about hedging because they were taking care of all of the hedging on their side. Listen, I'm not a trader. There's a lot of things we aren't. We're just going to list all the things we aren't on this episode and traders <laughs> among them. I'm not an expert on hedging strategies, <laughs> but like he complains at one point in this lawsuit that they had not sufficiently hedged for the potential impermanent loss as he withdrew all of his funds from the illiquid shitcoins that he had been yield farming. There's a lot of this that is really, really weird. Like the fact that he could only use these wallets remotely, had to go into Celsius to do it, that he believed they had some team hedging it all. Now... Uh, I specifically asked you a question. This is uh, point number, if I'm correct, number 39 on this lawsuit. Uh, this is the first time I found myself a little bit confused. Uh, it says, at all times, Celsius maintained complete control over the OXB1 account. Indeed, 
For most of the time that Stone worked with Celsius, he could only access the OXB1 account by using a VPN to log into a computer controlled by Celsius that was already logged into the OXB1 account. Now, I understand what that means in terms of remote access. That part I totally understand. Why is he having to use a VPN to log in under remote access? Just to make it safe and secure so that his computer, wherever he's at, which is not close to where this physical computer is at, has a safe network tunnel to transmit packets from his location to Celsius's network where they've got more control over the security implementation and stuff. So as far as we know, he's accessing this these hundreds of millions of dollars that have been granted to him by Celsius via a laptop in a coffee shop, for all we know. Is that right? Oh yeah, he could theoretically be using a laptop, but I think that the computer on Celsius's end is probably as part of their corporate network. But who cares? Um, yeah, <laughs> and that's, it, it feels weird. It's a very strange way to be handling hundreds of millions of dollars of customer funds. And like, this is the other weird part, is like in the lawsuit, he complains that Celsius told him they were using these hedging strategies and stuff. But like, if Celsius had a team of like quants and traders who are capable of hedging against all of the impermanent loss and the other things, well, he's yield farming these shitcoin farms they wouldn't need him, right? Like if they had the people who were capable of doing those kind of advanced hedging strategies, they never would have had to brought him in. And like even the part like we're talking about this weird private access to the computer, that was true up until Celsius got hacked via DNS attack. And then at that point, they just gave him the private keys. They just shared the keys with Jason. So like that's honestly even worse to me than like Celsius making him log in and being able to have some control over the computer it's happening on is they just gave this guy before there was a signed agreement as far as I can tell the private keys to a wallet they're depositing hundreds of millions of dollars of customer funds into that's insane okay so hold on hold on wow Bennett I'm, I'm suddenly realizing how far outside the scope of not just normal finance but just just reality we are right now and i and i want to i want to slow us down here for a second and point our listeners to a couple things one in episode 26 we talk about defi and lending platforms that are utilizing defi like celsius uh we also mentioned nexo and blockfi blockfi has been in trouble nexo says they're not in trouble but at least two out of three of the companies that we mentioned in that episode have talked about how they are now in trouble in episode, uh, I believe, 79, we talked to Mike Bergersberg, who was one of the people who was talking about how systemic and scary Celsius's risks were as a lending platform. So for anyone that needs to catch up on the deeper tidbits of this, doesn't understand what even Celsius Network is, I urge you to listen to those episodes. They're worth listening to. Um, obviously, I have a bias there. But... I think we need to quickly just go over what Celsius Network was promising to customers and what this gentleman, Jason Stone, and KeyFi or whatever, was doing. What even was this that was happening? And why is it related to all the yields that were being promised during DeFi summer? So Celsius promised to pay their customers a yield if they deposited their cryptocurrencies in there, right? Nominally, as a cryptocurrency lending platform, this yield was supposed to be generated by servicing other people who wanted to borrow cryptocurrencies, right? Borrowing and lending, they make two sides of the thing, everyone's happy. But there wasn't enough interest in borrowing cryptocurrencies in order to pay the rates that Celsius wanted to pay to attract more customers. And so, just I'm going to read directly from the lawsuit here because it's stunning. 
In 2020, Stone spoke with Mashinsky and other managers of Celsius numerous times to discuss the possibility of Celsius using Kefi's expertise to deploy advanced strategies to make money on its customer deposits. That summer, Plaintiff and Celsius cut a handshake deal where Plaintiff would manage billions of dollars in customer crypto deposits in return for a share of the profits generated from those crypto deposits. Then it continues on point 38, on or around August 19, 2020, without a formal agreement in place, Celsius began transferring hundreds of millions of dollars in crypto assets to Stone and his team. Celsius created a new Ethereum wallet address referred to as the 0xB1 account and transferred nearly all the assets Stone was to deploy into that address. Celsius wanted to pay higher yields than their lending and borrowing business could maintain, so they brought on this random guy who had done a little bit in cryptocurrency before to effectively take their customer deposits and deposit them into these yield farms, as you mentioned, Summer of DeFi, that were all doing these wild, dilutive token economics, where they would print a whole bunch of new tokens, give them out at the beginning, and if you got in early and sold quick enough, there was a period where people were making a lot of money. But like, fundamentally, yield farming strategies are not a value creation or value accrual mechanism, right? It's dilution of the token supply. It's, it's, it's Ponzi-nomics. There we and fucking so, go. There we fucking we go. And it's like, a Ponzi scheme. Well, it, Let's not call it Ponzinomics, please. It's not Ponzinomics. It's a fucking Ponzi scheme. I'm so tired of this bullshit, dude. And and at zero x, at zero x b one, Jason Stone, the Twitter account was a massive promoter of what I have publicly called a Ponzi scheme before, Olympus Dow. And so, yeah, it's hilarious to read this lawsuit where he repeatedly accuses Celsius Network of being a Ponzi while he was actively using customer deposits from Celsius to invest in Ponzi's. It's, it's absurd. It's bad satire. It's, I made a handshake deal to do what sounds incredibly illegal for this what looks like a criminal enterprise, and now they're not paying me, so I'm going to sue them in New York State. It's... I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and to explain why Bennett feels so frustrated here, because I think I want to lay this down in the most layman of, of layman terms, is if you're party to the idea of a Ponzi scheme or an obvious fraud scam, something like that, and you're like, man, I made this deal and we were making money off this fraud and this scam. And I made this deal with this other party about the, the money we were making on this fraud and this scam. And then that other party didn't pay me. I, it's kind of like calling the cops to be like, hey, my drug dealer didn't give me good drugs. And it's like, oh, do you think this is going to end well for you? Like, do you think the cops are going to come and be like, oh, we totally understand you got ripped off for those drugs you were attempting to illegally buy? Like, no, like nobody's going to have any pity or sorrow for you and your circumstance. Now, again, I don't know the rules and regulations of this civil lawsuit and what's going to be presented by the end of all this. Who, who knows? But what, what I do see is basically a guy who's working in and supporting a bunch of Ponzi schemes. I mean, let's call it what it is. And then getting mad when the company that's providing him the funds to support those Ponzi schemes doesn't necessarily pay out the, the promised yield that they suggested. So like... Scammers getting scammed? I don't know. Boo fucking who, as far as I'm concerned. 
But uh, you've done a deeper dive into some of the other interesting aspects of this. So so let's talk about some of these like um, NFTs. Let's talk about the NFTs. This isn't one of the most important details in the lawsuit, but it is one of the most intriguing to me. So right before he told Celsius that he was resigning, there's a couple of really weird things that happen. First, he says, and this is like point 90 in the lawsuit, I think, um, sorry, 89. Um, he says that he had gotten pre-approval to buy a bunch of NFTs as part of his profit sharing agreement. And like, if you look on the blockchain on March 6th, which is three days before he gave notice on March 9th, you see a ton of NFTs go out of the uh, 0xB1 wallet and go to the uh, 0x50DD wallet. And we'll link I'll link this on the website and stuff for people who want to actually see these. And a lot of NFTs suddenly go out from this account he was controlling to Celsius to this other one he controls supposedly as part of his profit sharing agreement, which he claims Celsius isn't honoring. So I guess those NFTs were insufficient for his share of the profits. But right after this, in point 91, he makes a really interesting point, which is after Stone left Celsius Keyfi, Celsius maintained access and control of the 0xB1 wallet. Celsius CEO Alex Mashinsky used that control for his own personal benefit. In one example, Celsius's CEO transferred valuable NFTs from the 0xB1 account to his wife's wallet. I was uh, cryptically tweeting about this yesterday before we recorded this because I think I figured out if this allegation is true, which wallet it might be. You can easily find transactions that go to a known one of Chrissy's wallets, but none of these NFTs are particularly valuable. There's one from Badger Dow, where which Celsius lost a bunch of money in. There's another Badger, and then there's some like weird crown with a unicorn on it. None of those are particularly valuable. All of them are flagged as uh, spam on Etherscan, and so I am incredibly dubious that that would be the valuable NFTs that are being discussed in this. But... A few days after Jason gave his notice, the 0xB1 wallet starts acquiring a bunch of NFTs and then transferring them to a wallet that has since never been used. And this is the 0x37284. And it received five Beeple NFTs, many of them much more valuable. Three that they paid about 200,000 for, uh, another one they paid like 120,000 for, sorry, four they paid like 200,000 a piece for, and one they paid like 100,000 for, two copies of Into the Ether, one of a bowl with shit all around it, another one of like an infected thing. And so, Pikachu, Pikachu, infected Pikachu. Yes, infected Pikachu. I want to so make sure Pokemon lovers hate this shit because yeah. uh, fuck these, fuck these people. This section of the podcast is probably better on our YouTube channel than our uh, <laughs> than on our podcast feeds. But yeah, so these five Beeple NFTs were transferred from ZeroXB1 to this other wallet that has since never been used. And so my guess is, if that allegation is true, those five Beeple NFTs are the ones that are being discussed there. Yeah, and I want to just I I know this is not necessarily like finance related or or DeFi related or or anything in terms of. Uh... To the point of them getting in trouble. But what I what I do want to say is that Alex Mashinsky and his wife, Chrissy Mashinsky, have been very, 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 very active on social media in general. And about a month ago, Alex disappeared. When Celsius finally collapsed, 
Alex Mashinsky vanished from Twitter.com. And now Chrissy Mashinsky is kind of holding the torch and saying it's all FUD, you know, just build. Who knows what she does, um, but cool. Um, meanwhile, Newt Goldstein, uh, the real name of the the chief, <laughs> chief technology officer or chief financial officer, I think it's chief financial officer of Celsius, he has also stopped tweeting completely and entirely. So these people who were very, very active on social media completely disappeared. And now... I understand if you're in media, I understand if you, for instance, run a podcast or have a YouTube channel, why you need to maintain a very active presence on social media. I understand why someone like Rowan, like Ryan Cohen, the CEO of Chewy and GameStop and a host of other companies, why he's active to a degree on Twitter and stuff like that. He also is vague, right? He's also not implicating himself in like fraud. He's just saying stupid, stupid, funny things or whatever. Like, I think these people have become targets, not just of regulators and law enforcement and now everyone who they owe money to, but they've become targets of ridicule on social media because people like Alex Mashinsky and Do Kwan and um, Suzu and Kyle Davies are all gone now, right? These are bankrupt entities and people. And these were the same people who were telling everyone have fun staying poor. These were the same people saying unbank yourself. These were the same people telling you that this 17% yield on USDT or sell token was absolutely for real. And now they're gone. And I think it just, you know what it says to me? They spoke to a fucking lawyer is what it says to me. Not much else. Probably lots of them. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned the cell token, because that was another fun allegation in this lawsuit. That named names. And I want to point out, before you get started here about cell token, we, you and I have repeatedly on Twitter discussed how cell token like reflects Celsius network and people involved with Celsius or getting yield from Celsius or whatever would respond to us and say, Celsius token is in no way related to Celsius network, really. Like it's, it doesn't even, if it goes to zero, it wouldn't matter for Celsius network. This lawsuit says otherwise. So go ahead and now please go into that. Yeah. And so it specifically alleges and names names. It says that Connor Nolan, head of coin deployment at Celsius, told Stone that Celsius had used 4,500 Bitcoin with a value of about $90 million to purchase the Celsius token on the open market between February of 2020 and November of 2020 in order to inflate the price. Yeah, so let's just look at what the price did during that period. It went from 17 cents all the way up to eh, like $2. So that's that's a... Nice little uh, 10-bagger. The purpose of this was supposedly twofold. One, since you got a higher interest rate if you took your payment in Celsius token, by increasing the value of the Celsius token, they limited how much they had to give out to customers. The other part is Chrissy, Alex, and the rest of the Celsius team have a lot of Celsius token. And uh, Dirty Bubble Media, who you mentioned, who we've had on before, has done some work in trying to document alleged sales of Celsius token by Alex and Chrissy. And so by increasing the value of Celsius token, they were personally enriching themselves and making it easier for them to exit their position and profit from this. And like, again, this is a lawsuit, these are allegations, but that one, if it's true, is just 
using customer deposits to pump your own token so that you can exit is bad. It's 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 fraud. It's morally abhorrent. It's proof that our regulators have been overly inactive. It's a negative mark on anyone who's been defending Celsius over the last couple of years. Uh, Adam back. <laughs> Regardless. I also want to state that I, I mentioned to you that as I was looking through this lawsuit, it truly sounds to me like there's a lot of commingling going on between this KeyFi entity and Celsius network. And like there's, it's, it's all the same money, guys. It's all the same money. Who cares? I need people to understand that isn't how business works. That isn't how business works. You don't just commingle funds. I, I wouldn't just go, hey, so uh, about uh, Cascoin and, and Crypto Critics Corner DAO. Um, I know all the funds are over there. I just spun up a new entity called uh, Cascoin DAO. So it's a combination of kind of both. Maybe we can just um, combine all the funds and I can kind of control them. That isn't how business works. It's not how business works. Danny Sesta likes it, though. Oh, Danny Sesta loves everything that's a scam. So does Sifu. They all, these, <laughs> these guys all love everything that's a scam. If they long it, you should watch the fuck out. These people are scammers. I, like, I, I think what's becoming apparent with all of this is our previous episode, right? The, our Contagion episode, where it's, it's all of these bad actors are trying to scam these other bad actors. And there's a movie called Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It's from 1988. It's pretty silly, pretty stupid. And it stars Steve Martin and Michael Caine. And they're two scammers who are trying to out-scam one another. And in the end, the woman they're trying to scam ends up scamming both of them. And I, I, I can't help but think of that movie. I can't help but think of that in The Sting. And be like, oh, so scammer one thinks they can scam scammer two. Scammer two thinks they can scam scammer one, two, and three. And one, two, and three, like everyone is scamming everybody. And at the end, someone is getting a big, big W. Like, I don't know who yet. I suspect SBF and CZ aren't doing too shabby right now. But all of this makes me think that none of these people have the customer's intention. All of Web3 is spun as this big W for, for the people, for retail, for all of us. Like it, it's, it's, it's a retail win. I was, you know what I was doing as I was going through FTX officials YouTube the other day? And I was watching their podcast that they do with um, their head of trading. And she's saying like, yeah, I think a lot of the trading that we do is against retail. And you're just like... I hope that's not true. I hope that retail is not wait, heavily invested wait. in this. FTX's YouTube or Alameda's? F FTX. FTX official. <laughs> I mean, listen. It was the Alameda. It was the it was Alameda Ryan, right? research head of it was trading. Ryan, right, right. No, it was um, Car Caroline. Caroline. Oh, wait, because Ryan's. Caroline Ellison. It was Caroline Ellison, head of trading at, at Alameda Research on the FTX official website, uh, FTX official podcast. Talking about DeFi summer, talking about how like, yeah, I think a lot of these trades were against it was so she, like she starts it off saying like, huh, like I went into it thinking like this is also stupid, such a dumb scam. Like first we're farming comp, then we're farming whatever. Like it all seems so dumb and a scam. And you're like, yeah, it is a fucking scam. Like, I don't know, man. The whole thing has been very off putting. But I think that what this lawsuit gives to me and hopefully I think you're in the same camp as me. 
is that we're seeing the full, this is the full collapse. Like, I don't know how far it goes. I don't suspect, I'm not saying Bitcoin to zero. I'm not saying Ethereum to zero. We're not being insane. I'm saying we're seeing the scammers, the yield farmers, the lenders, the exchanges, everyone's turning against each other because there is no yield. There's no fucking yield, guys. It's clear to me. This is this is the end game right here. Go to your local government, seek out a court order against somebody in DeFi. I'm so happy this is where it ends, is in a government-structured court of law, because of course it does. Well, and he separated from Celsius in April of 2021 and has been trying to get paid since and launched this lawsuit after they shut down withdrawals and stuff because he's like, oh, they're really not going to be able to pay now. Better make sure I make my claim public since the documentation for it is going to be lacking when the bankruptcy lawyers get in there. There's not going to be a lot of paperwork that proves I was doing what I say I was doing. And so I better get this on a record somewhere is really what it kind of feels like to me. And you're right. That, like, cryptocurrency industry is deeply incestuous, and all of these entities are tied together in these absurd ways and via these lending agreements. Actually, speaking about lending agreements, there's another part of this lawsuit, which I think is going to end up overlooked by a lot of people, that I thought was quite important. So Celsius ended up with a pretty massive hole in their books because they were doing very shoddy accounting. They logged the liabilities that they were going to owe customers who wanted to get paid interest in dollars. And then crypto prices went up and they forgot to mark to market. And they had been giving out a bunch of those crypto assets to this one guy to send into random yield farms. And so then when people tried to withdraw, Celsius had to go back and buy more Ethereum and stuff on the open market at a higher price than their customers deposited at in order to function. During this period, to make this work, Celsius started taking loans. Well, and they were taking loans before this too. Several of these appear to be based on point 80 in the lawsuit, sell token collateralized loans, where lenders agreed to give out loans against Celsius token to Celsius so that Celsius could cover a hole in their books caused by their own flawed accounting. Now, this wasn't the only loan they ended up taking because the lawsuit also claims that the loan that Celsius ended up getting from Tether was negotiated effectively as like a bailout as Tether trying to find a way to keep Celsius solvent. You may remember Tether being the lead investor in Celsius's Series A equity round, which is very similar to allegations that came out around December 2020 about Babel Finance in China is that they had started to leverage their customer deposits in order to make more money, that they ended up in a position where they were overcommitted and didn't have the liquidity to handle more withdrawals. And so they were able to negotiate a bailout from Tether under special loan terms that gave them enough time to be able to get through that. Since then, now, in more recent times, Babel has also had to shut off withdrawals, as has Celsius, this other one that got this loan from Tether. And so the behaviors of Babel, allegedly, and Celsius, allegedly, and the involvement of Tether in both, in allegedly, very similar manners, is just endlessly fascinating to me. And really points to kind of the same kind of thing you're talking about. This was deeply incestuous. Celsius is a lending platform, and like, lenders were taking their native token to lend them more things so they could keep functioning. And it's just... A lot of critics talk about how market cap and stuff 
And a lot of the money values in crypto aren't actually what they seem because the liquidity isn't really there and the numbers are artificially inflated. And this is an example of how dangerous artificially inflated numbers become when people don't pause and wonder, what if this is artificially inflated? What if the liquidity leaves? What if the confidence is shaken? And so then lenders extend loans against sell token and sell token starts to collapse and Celsius starts to collapse. And Three Arrows Capital runs out of liquidity because they decided to make a levered play into a staked ether derivative. It's, it's absurd and it's stupid. And when it starts to go, you're right, it can kind of just unwind all at once and start to collapse hopefully hopefully clearing out a lot of the assholes <laughs> there's always more though um it's just such a magnificently stupid point and, and beautiful point i want to say but a, such a stupid point in that I, I i want people to fully comprehend what bennett is expressing here and we have gone over this before. The leverage isn't even fully expressed when you say like leverage. When people talk about leverage, they talk about being able to get two to a hundred X leverage on a purchase of a dumb token or whatever at, at BitMEX, right? Like this, this is what people talk about when they talk about leverage. When we talk about leverage, we're not just talking about leverage. We're talking about the idea that you're both investing in a company and then like lending them money at the same time and then getting interest payments back. But you have equity in the company that you're getting interest payments back from. Like it's all a confluence of bullshit and interest. And it's gross. It's gross. Interest is always gross. It's very gross in finance because what we have here is a bunch of companies that are propping each other up repeatedly. And like you said, the unwind isn't just like a, a gentle unwind of like a bunch of gross assets and, and that has its own issues and murkiness and, and problems. But this is a quick, slick, fast, ridiculous unwind where everything depends on everything else. So as soon as 3AC, three, sorry, 3 Arrows Capital goes under, Celsius is fucked and then Voyager is fucked. And then FTX is lending billions of dollars out to everybody. And so CZ is saying, oh, we can lend out money. And, and Justin Sun is now saying he can lend out billions of dollars to everyone. Okay, I guess. I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out if these people can actually do it. Because they're saying it because they probably are going to need to at least take on hundreds of millions of dollars to sustain the collapsing system. Much like the U.S. government did in 08, they're going to try to do it privately and without taxpayer support. And I, and I wish them luck. Good luck, guys. J.P. Morgan in the 1920s, right? Sure. Well, it's exactly what you're saying. And then, like, even the stablecoins themselves often act as kind of a type of leverage, right? Like, Tether is partially backed by secured loans, which are collateralized by Bitcoin. They extend Tether-denominated loans so that entities like Celsius and Nexo can lend Tethers out so they can be used to purchase more cryptocurrencies. Tether itself is backed by Bitcoin. And then other stablecoins like DAI are entirely a credit-based model where they're almost entirely used for that kind of levering up, right? You deposit your Ether so you can get DAI so you can buy more Ether so you can deposit it and get more DAI and lever up that way. And so there's many places where that leverage is embedded and you think with something like die it's public you've got time to get your collateral in but then sometimes you don't like we saw with celsius and we talked about this a little bit when dirty bubble media was on like their die position ended up in danger because their other loans were being actively liquidated and they were having trouble getting enough liquidity to buy enough die to pay down the loan and avoid that position from getting liquidated and so even loans that seem 
secure, seem adequately collateralized, can very quickly become inadequately collateralized and unsafe, especially if there's other people in the space who are extending loans against similar assets that have liquidation points at a similar level. One liquidates and pushes below the liquidation point of another, and you start to see the cascading liquidations. And so fundamentally, what I hope this massive leverage washout in crypto does is it eliminates a lot of the actors who have been using that really irresponsibly and hopefully starts to shift the culture away from one that is so predisposed towards focusing just on trying to eke out every bit of manufactured money from the retail investors who you're trying to attract on your podcast, right? Like, like it's a bad world where FTX brings on the head trader of FTX's CEO's trading firm and they go, yeah, we go against retail. We want to take money from retail. And like, F- to be clear, I don't think she even fully comprehended what she was saying when she said that, like the guy was just saying like, who's doing this with you guys. And she's like, I'm not sure, but I think it's like retail. And you're just like, so you're just scalping retail. You're just fucking scalping retail. Well, it's what SBF said on odd lots, right? We put the money in the box. Everyone else follows in and puts their money in the box. And then we take out our money and most of their money too, right? It, they, they tell you what they're doing. They're, they're telling you exactly what they want to do to exploit you. And you can see that these are not honest actors. These are not good actors. That's what the overwhelming amount of evidence about cryptocurrency actors has shown. That's not to say there aren't good actors. That's not to say there aren't good people in cryptocurrency. Just that there's so many of these entities that are so absolutely mercenary and so absolutely focused on eking out every possible it is outside the scope of cryptocurrency i want to be clear this is a finance issue this is a finance issue this is a finance issue i want to repeat it over and over again so people understand we aren't just strictly focused on this we are focused on finance this is not like this is day traders get blown up too but this is this is a greed this is a greed issue this is a never enough issue this is this is outside the scope far outside the scope of cryptocurrency and we understand that and we're not going to deny that but our main point that we've been focused on for all of this time has been cryptocurrency so i think it's like we know that this this exists outside of cryptocurrency we know that banks aren't the best entities in the world you know we know we know social security is weird and like we understand all of that we're not denying that it's about where you can make dramatic change right now so I, I we appreciate everybody saying that there are problems outside the scope of, of cryptocurrency and, and contagion in regard to Celsius and these lending platforms and Tether. You're right. We're not denying that. But yeah, I, I am so happy to see the FDIC moving against Voyager or at least investigating them. I don't want to say moving against, but investigating Voyager. We have these bankruptcies, we, which is going to entail government looking into these companies and deciding what the hell is going on and whether it's okay. I'm actually more optimistic now than I was two or three years ago with the state of cryptocurrency. I'm not. Uh, I I don't know how, I honestly don't know how you couldn't be. Like seeing these bad actors not just blow themselves up, but get blown up by regulators, get taken down by regulators, get called out, get investigated – I am far more optimistic now than I have been pretty much ever covering this space. And we've been here for almost five years now, right? There's four four or five years. I mean, 
Sure. We've talked a little bit recently about how we've seen a little bit more law enforcement and regulator action, which is a promising development. And like I said earlier on this, I hope this kind of washout removes some of the bad actors and some of the worse actors. And I think this has drawn a spotlight that will make it harder for crypto to get away with some of the things it's done in the past. But I think also in the broader context, the U.S. regulatory state is actively being gutted by the Supreme Court. There's a good chance that Congress will end up either so split that nothing will ever pass or Republican controlled with an anti-regulatory bent by the beginning of 2023. And there is still a non-zero percent chance we end up with someone like Trump back in the Oval Office in 2025 with an active goal of dismantling the regulatory state and putting in people who won't regulate. That is not to mention that crypto has done a much better job now than it has at any point in the past of buying influence and getting into positions where there are powerful people advocating for cryptocurrency and effectively owned by the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And so, yes, right now, in the past few months, we've had several positive developments that started to give me hope. Regulators seeming to become more active, the Department of Justice bringing down indictments. But the larger meta picture still seems to me to suggest that things are about to become worse, not better, when it comes to us covering cryptocurrency and the scams. Well. I tried to end it on a good note and Bennett just fucking destroyed that. So there you go, everybody. Now you understand Bennett hates anything that is good and optimistic. That is the way it is. It's not just me. It is largely Bennett's fault. Um, on that note, I think we're going to call that an episode. And uh, guys, I am deeply down. I fully invested in Celsius. And that was uh, that was all of Crypto Critics Corner's um, reserves. That was how I was going to pay our producer and deal with everything. So if y'all can support us by donating all of your cell token to the burn address, please don't listen to me. Hit the like and subscribe button. It's far easier than anything else I'm saying or suggesting. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you, I guess, uh, soon. Mm -hmm.